Yo, 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 we back in business. <laughs> Welcome back. Division One Rejects. Kobe Manzo here with Tyshawn King. Ty, what's up, buddy? Nice to be back, man. Hey, it's great to have you, buddy. Today, two great guests. We're staying in the GLIAC on today's episode. First, we have Ryan Brady, who is the current head coach at Saginaw Valley State University. First head coach of the D2 level. So that's big time for us. Then later on, we'll be joined by Lucas Mello, who is the defensive line coach at Davenport University. Really excited for that conversation. He is uh, an arena football player, ex-arena football player, played JUCO, went D1. Now he was, he was coaching at the JUCO level. Now he's up at Davenport. So this dude has been around everywhere. I think he's going to be a wealth of knowledge for us. Um, as far as the NFL goes, we could make a podcast about all the NFL news in itself. Like We could talk for about an hour just about all the deals that have been made. It was a crazy first day. Crazy first day. It's been a crazy week. Everything, so much has gone on. Um, and it actually got kind of kick-started. Like, it got started off with Drew Brees making the announcement that he's officially retiring after 20 seasons in the NFL. Um, so that was interesting. That was on the 15th anniversary of him signing with the Saints. So it was pretty cool. And, like, the kids announced it and stuff like that. We'll talk about it later. Uh, but the NFL deal's getting done. The Patriots made a million moves, it seems like. But the most notable in the first one was Cam Newton, who signed another one-year deal with the Patriots. We'll see, like, the excuse last year was that Cam didn't have enough weapons and all this stuff. So if so he brings it this year, yeah, if he brings it this year, they're going to be really successful with the defensive pieces they added, the tight ends and all that. Tom Brady got an extension in Tampa Bay. Aaron Jones gets a four-year deal done for Green Bay. And then Taysom Hill. Huge four-year extension in New Orleans. Very interesting down the road to see what their quarterback situation is, whether or not he's going to be the franchise guy because they did just sign Jameis to a one-year deal as well, but that looks more of a backup situation. I don't. They say that that Taysom Hill extension, like it's all voidable and yeah, all. Yeah, so it's, it's all fake money. Exactly. Like so. he's not going to see the majority of that. So that's why it's very interesting. But there's so many more deals that we are going to talk about later. But. After that, to wrap up the episode, we'll be talking about, in the college football realm of things, some potential rule changes coming to overtime, how they handle overtime at the college level, and also solving the problem of faking injuries to stop the clock. So that's going to be a pretty interesting conversation because the rules committee proposed some new rules on Friday. Those have to be approved before they can actually be put into the game, but it will be interesting to see where that goes and if it actually affects this upcoming season. But, per usual... Tell your friends about us. Check us out. Follow us on Twitter at D1 underscore rejects and on Instagram at Division One Rejects. See when the new episodes drop every Wednesday and catch highlights from the conversations with our guests. But first, unfortunately, Coach Ryan Brady was uh, unable to join us on tonight's podcast. So um, we'll be missing out on that conversation. Hopefully we can get him on in the future. Um, but we still will be talking with Coach Mello and let's get right to that conversation. Joining us on today's episode is the defensive line coach at Davenport University, a JUCO product himself that has played at the Division One level and in the Arena Football League. It's Coach Lucas Mello. What's going on, Coach? How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. Appreciate you uh, taking a little time to come on here and uh, talk some football with us today. The last week of... NFL, as we've kind of started to get into it, has been insane, as you've uh, um, you've seen, I'm sure, with the uh, cuts and all the deals being made. But um, I'm sure your guys' lives at Davenport are just as busy. Oh, yeah. It, you know, it, it, I'm a big NFL fan, so I'm, okay. I'm all over that stuff. Um, you know, so phone's been blowing up all day with that. But um, obviously, getting ready for our first game in a really long time this week. So it's been pretty you know, pretty crazy in our office right now, just getting things ready to go, making sure everything's good with COVID. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we get ready to go this Friday. 
Yeah, that's the last thing you want is to be all prepared and then like, oh, we just had two positive cases pop and now we have to delay everything yet again. So I know, you know, we've been through that process, thankfully not before a game or anything, but we've had the plug pulled on us a couple of times back in the fall. That's just the most frustrating thing in the world. But um, big NFL guy, where are you? Uh, where's your fandom reside? Where, where are we? Uh, who are we rooting for? You know, it's funny. Uh, you know, if you if I were to ask you what would you think would be my team, I'd bet you out of all 32 teams, you wouldn't be able to guess. Uh, okay. You know, nobody really gets why, but I'm a diehard since the dad started watching football. Diehard Cincinnati Bengals fan. Cincinnati the hard Bengals. Time. Yeah. Wow. Um, um, nobody really gets why. <laughs> Man. <laughs> no one really gets why, but it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a loyal guy to my team. You know, I, I've had a couple of days where – Okay. Um, you know, I can catch it, but been diehard ever since. Yeah, that is. I de- you're right in the fact that I definitely would not have guessed that. I mean, we've had a bunch of teams make a bunch of moves. I don't think Cincinnati has been really uh, in the headlines as far as uh, you know any big time contracts or anything. But I guess you could also view that as a good it's thing because the they're busiest, not. Yeah. Go ahead. Busiest free agency we've ever had. You know, usually we don't do anything free agency wise. Yeah. We got uh, Trey Hendricks from Saints. Okay. Oh, yeah, he got four years, sixty million. Yeah. Oh, that was okay. That was the one we were talking about. Yeah. Um, but I mean, hey, with a healthy Joe Burrow back, you don't know. Then again, you have to crawl your way out of the uh the AFC North there. So it's not exactly a uh, you know, a short task for you guys. Absolutely. That league's that uh, that division is gonna be tough rather. Um but like you said, heading into your first game this Saturday, um, you didn't say, but uh, heading down to Gannon. So that's going to be um, a scrimmage, I'm assuming, for you guys, technically. Now, that will count as an official game for them, though, I assume. No, we're, we're playing an actual game this week. Um, we got a couple of those, and then we, we do have a couple of scrimmages lined up as well. Oh, so that um, counts as a game yeah. on, uh, on, like, a schedule? Uh. It's not, you know, it uh, it doesn't count. Okay, yeah, like, that's what I thought. Right. But, yeah. but it does, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, our spring schedule, I guess, is what. Of course, you, yeah. I mean, you're going to treat it like a game no matter what. That's not a question. Exactly. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. But as far as leading up to that, I mean, spring ball, Ty, what is the usual, I mean, between you guys, like, I, I haven't been around long enough, what is the usual, like, spring ball schedule look like? I know it's not like this, right, because we have a pretty extended I think uh, we period run. here. Yeah, it, it, it's been pretty crazy, you know. No, no, you're okay. Um, you know, it's been pretty crazy because we, we kind of uh, treated the fall like it was spring ball. Okay, yeah, you I know, get the that. Fall we practiced no game, so that that was more in the, in the mindset of spring. Um, we, we came into this, I guess, winter, leading into the spring here. We treated it more like summer to fall camp, and now just, you know, yeah, for sure. Now, what kind of effect does that have on the guys in my situation who are freshmen that came in in the fall and usually would have that opportunity to redshirt? I mean, still, that opportunity is there, but are you still going to be handing out a lot of those redshirts, or do you think you're going to see a lot more guys kind of come out and make that immediate impact, maybe see some uh, some playing time in the in the fall coming up? Uh, we, we definitely have some pretty good freshmen that came in in the fall that, that will contribute in the fall. There you go. Obviously, we'll play this spring. Um, you know, it's, it's just, you look, you treat it as an extra year, you know, all those freshmen that came in got redshirted, obviously, because we didn't play any games. So, yeah. 
Um, but then I guess next fall, they're once again freshmen again. So, uh, but now they're freshmen with experience, you know, whole years of experience where they've practiced four games, you know, these the games they're going to play. Uh, so they obviously have a leg up, but, uh, you know, you, you treat it the same way. Obviously, there'll be guys that, that still aren't ready, freshmen that still won't be ready, and, mm-hmm. and they'll kind of be in red shirt in the fall again. Um, you know, and it, it's just when it comes to roster management and all that stuff, it, it, it gets pretty crazy. That's why our, our, like our, our freshman class this year wasn't nearly as big as it usually is because yeah. essentially you have three freshman classes by the time the fall comes. That is so insane to think about, from the red shirt to this year and then the incoming. That is – I didn't even think about that. You're right. You really much in yeah. the practicality have three freshman classes. That's nuts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now – Coming off last year, you had a first-team Ogliac player on the D-line in Robert Clanton. I'm hopefully pronouncing that right, but he put up some insane numbers throughout the year. I wanted to know what it's like to have a veteran guy like that. I know you're going into uh, your third year at Davenport there, but to have a veteran, veteran guy like that that you've been able to coach up, you've been able to be around him, make a great relationship with him, I'm assuming. What is it like to have a great leader like that on the defensive side of the ball, especially at your position on the D-line? Um, and I'm pretty sure... It said he had a 70-yard interception return for a touchdown against Saginaw Valley. Yep, yep, absolutely. So, Holy um, you know, when I got – yeah, yeah, it, it was a beautiful play. And, you know, we, we actually went down. I want to say it might have been 20 to nothing at that point. Okay. Um, you know, when, when that happened. And then he kind of – our team just kind of came out flat. It wasn't, you know, a great start to a game. He kind of sparked it, you know. He yeah. He made a great play. Um Pick you know pick the ball off took it seventy yards and you know I, you know after that uh, I don't I don't believe they scored again after that we ended up beating them by a touchdown. There you go. So, Sometimes you just need that. Uh, it was my fancy play of the year just because of the momentum swing that, that it brought us. I bet. No, that, I've I've but, never uh, seen anything like that. But yeah, tell me about what it's like to have a veteran guy like that. You've been able to coach up and be that leader and that voice on the defensive side of the ball. Excuse me. Yeah, so, you know, when I, I got here uh, that year, I got here in the summer shortly before fall camp started. Okay. Uh, and when I got here, there wasn't many guys that were here the year before. So, Bob was one of them. Pat McMahon was another one. And then uh, Evan Boyer was another guy that was here. But besides those three guys, nobody else had played. You know, so yeah. it, it was kind of a start from scratch situation. and. You know, Rob had been, you know, he had started a few games, but he hadn't been a full-time starter his whole career. You know, Pat was kind of in the same boat. And, uh, you know, it was good to have guys that knew the defense because me coming in at first, obviously I was learning while coaching him, you know, right before camp. And uh, so those guys helped me out a lot with that. So I really focused on, as I do every year, just more the technical side of things and, you know, um, yeah, small details, and placement eyes reading keys, all, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, kind of said, let's not worry about the playbook right now. Let's worry about getting our technique right and making sure we got um, our our fundamentals down before we get even get to that point, right? So, For sure, yeah. Uh, Rob, what, he was a defensive end before that, and, you know, I kind of saw him as a guy who could be a, a just an unbelievable defensive back with three techniques, a little undersized weight-wise. Okay. To play inside, but super twitchy, really strong, um, really explosive, and, you know, kind of 
wasn't too sure about playing inside at first, you know, and we moved him all around, you know, up and up, up and up the line, but um, he really made his money in, you know, inside of that three technique and uh, kind of caused a lot of havoc. And, you know, once he started seeing the success he was having there, obviously the buy-in was through the roof and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, puts up unbelievable numbers, bust his butt every single week in the weight room practice. That's awesome. And it paid off. You know, it paid off. He had, he had really high expectations for himself going into his senior year, and, you know, he lived up to it. So it was great. Yeah, that's exactly what you want, too, especially from your senior, your leadership guys, like, if they can set that example, then it's like for younger guys, I know like myself, it's like, why not? Like, why not me? Like, why can't, if, if my team leader can go out and bust his ass at workouts and all this stuff, like, you know, you have no excuse not to do the same thing. So I wanted to talk to you too, because obviously that was his senior year. He finished out and graduated, but then the class after that, they're going through all this extra stuff with the eligibility and all these things. And I was talking to Tyshawn about how we've got a good amount of seniors coming back. Like you were saying, we're not really losing a lot of guys because they get all this extra eligibility. So yeah. the figure may as well come back. What's that situation like for you guys? And I'm sure they had a big effect on the recruiting. Like you said, you brought in a lot smaller of a class. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, like, like everybody else, we, we didn't lose many guys, but okay. we did have a couple guys who graduated and, you know, was just kind of, ready to move on with their life. Yeah, you know, of and, course. And some, some good players. You know, some guys that were just like, hey, we got job opportunities and we got certain things that, you know, we're ready to move on and go do that could have came back, um, which a majority did. But, you know, like I said, we had a few that, that ended up just moving on. Um, so we obviously had to replace those guys and we brought in some transfers and, uh, you know, got those guys in the mid-year. So where usually you would have that six-month window before those guys are, are – actually playing a game when they come in mid-year, you know, they're going to have over a year being with us by the time we play that first game. So that's yeah. great. That's a huge um, advantage. You know, these guys haven't even played a game yet. They're, they're vets at this point. You know, yeah. even those freshmen, they're, they're no, I tell those guys all the time, they're no longer freshmen. Once you get past that first semester, you know, you're you're now a vet. So mm-hmm. uh, it's been great. You know, it's been really good. Got a lot of uh, teaching done, a lot of progression. Guys are working their butt off. I, I tip my hat off. Uh, not only the, our guys, but really all the players across the country right now, because they're going through stuff um, at every school that me, I couldn't never have even imagined. You know, it's, it's extremely difficult for me as a coach, but as a player, as a 19, 20, 21-year-old kid, uh, having to adjust to that online learning, to the online football, you know, actually the yeah. Zoom meetings and, you know, all that other stuff is just, you know, I get it. It's, it's difficult. It's, it's tough to stay engaged. It's, it's tough to stay bought in. But I know I can only speak on our program. Our guys have been extremely bought in. They've done everything we've asked. Um, they've been very careful with, with the COVID situation. You know, we haven't had outbreaks, thank God. That's good um, to hear, yeah. We our, our school has been really, really good with that stuff. You know, probably over the top sometimes. but <laughs> Trust you know, me, hey, we that, know we know exactly how that feels over right. here, yeah. You know, but at the same time, it's, you know, sometimes it feels over top, but... But it's for the safety, yeah, places, of course. Right, exactly. So you look at these numbers and ours are just way below. So, you know, I'm not complaining about it. Not at all. And like you said, um, you know, they're taking everything as it comes. They're doing all the things right, especially in your position group. Because when you came in 2018... Your first year with Davenport, the D-line had 77 tackles for loss, 22 sacks. You guys were second in the GLIAC rush defensive category and top 50 in the country. 
Now coming in, you're talking about um, that main emphasis, especially for this year, was just about uh, you know not this year, excuse me, last year was all about technique. Let's get these things down before we really get into the playbook. Was that kind of the approach when you first came in here? Was that kind of that same mindset? Yeah, you know that that's honestly it, that's kind of my mindset all every year. You okay. Know, um, I, I try not to uh, worry so much about scheme uh, aspects of things. All that stuff will play you know play itself out. You know, all that stuff, yeah, they'll, of course. With the rest, they'll kind of, a little grass that we have plenty of meeting time, we have plenty of time to, to watch film. But the biggest thing for me is I, I'm a teacher first, so we're going to, I'm going to teach, I'm going to teach you how to become a better football player, and then we'll worry about you. That's awesome. You know, because it does nobody any good for you to just know the scheme, but you don't know the technique, and you can block every play because you don't know how to get off the block. You know, you don't yeah. know how to read a key, you don't know how to block, you, you know, you don't know how to play college football. Um, especially with young guys that come in. Because, you know, you, you think about it, you get these high school kids come in and they're the best player on the field most of the time. Oh, yeah. They're just bigger, faster for everybody, and they don't need technique. And now they come here, and especially in Division two, you got guys that are 25, 26 years old. Yeah, that is scary. And, um, it, you're right, though. You know, if, if, you, don't have, if, if you don't have your uh, technique down and you don't have your, your team down, it, you know, it, it can turn bad really quick. 100%. Like, we've got – um, a couple of dudes, I mean, Yale's what, 26? Close it, yeah, yeah, 26. That's insane. Like, just the fact that you can have that much of an age difference. Like you said, dudes that are fresh out of high school coming in to play on the same field possibly against some grown men. And like you said, yeah. everybody out of high school, they were the dude at their high school. It doesn't matter, like Division two, whatever. Like, especially in our conference, they were the dude at their high school, right. the guy. And so a lot of the time, you like to think that they were working on that technique and stuff. Sometimes that goes right out the window because they can get by without it. So it's a really interesting dynamic, and you know, guys like you are super necessary. That teacher aspect, like you were just saying, making sure guys have all those fundamentals down because you're totally right. Without that, D-line, of course, but that's any position. Without that, you have absolutely nothing. So I, I love that mindset and that approach. Now, um, you coached at the JUCO level in the past at Ellsworth Community College in Iowa, and we've had we've had – just trying to think – one defensive end from Iowa or from Ellsworth, excuse me, that I played high school with. He came on the pod, and then um, we actually had the current D line coach, uh, coach. Why am I blanking on the name right now? But he's come on the podcast twice, and he's been he's been absolutely awesome. So I've heard a ton about Ellsworth. Uh, you played at Louisiana Pierce Junior College before playing at South Alabama, and then ended up at Southeast Missouri. So just like listen all this off. Obviously, you have this extreme wealth of knowledge of the game, right? And I didn't even mention going to play uh, professional football after that for a few years. So I feel like that, if anything, if you already weren't credible enough to be coaching Division Two, like that's just got to be such a great resource for the guys that you're teaching and you're mentoring. And I just wanted to know from being at all those different levels, being around all these different places, I'm assuming that's had a great impact on how you teach and, uh, you know, how you tend to coach that position. You know, absolutely. You know, I, I uh, you know, I, I, I kind of went through, uh, you know, a long process, you know, to get to, uh, you know, where I graduated at Southeast Missouri. You okay. Know, that kind of a crazy little situation there. But along the way, I, you know, I was blessed to really get around some really good coaches, you know, get around okay. some really yeah. good uh, defensive line coaches, defensive coordinators, head coaches, and, and just learn. Um, I knew that, you know, coming out of high school, you couldn't tell me I wasn't going to the NFL. I was going to the league. Yeah. That was that. It didn't matter. Anything else, right? So, at some point, reality kicks in, and it's, 
and you're thinking, well, it's not going to happen, or whether it's at the end of the season or whether it's after you're done playing. But at some point, I started to think, if I'm not going to play professionally at the next level, what am yeah. I going to do? And I, I could never grasp my mind around what was something that I wanted to do besides coach football. So um, I knew I wanted to coach. So I always, you know, you, you, you look back at some of the materials I have. I have certain materials from everywhere I've been, just little things that, you know, I pick and I, I save, whether it's uh, defensive line stuff or just running a program stuff for one day if I ever become a head coach. Okay. Um, all that kind of stuff. I save that stuff, and I, I try to use those as resources to uh, – you know, bounce back on and uh, look at things that maybe I'm having a difficult time getting across to my guys. You know, I have some really good mentors, some guys that I, I've either coached with or have been coached by um, that I can always call and lean on when, uh, you know, I need more information. So um, it's been awesome. You know, it, it's been really good um, from my high school coaches and my junior college coaches to um, my coaches at South Alabama and Southeast Missouri. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when – when, once I, by the time I got to playing indoor, you know, there's not a lot of coaching done at that level, honestly, because it's just, you know, it's almost like, especially at the line position, you have one line coach for both the offensive line and defensive line. Really? So it's almost like, uh, I know at the, the two teams I played on, our, our line coach was more of an offensive line coach. So yeah, me, myself and then um, another guy, Kendrick Stewart, who's, high school head coach down in Florida, we were playing together at the time. We were both coaching high school football while playing, so we we kind of ran the drills for the defense line, you know, and then you go off to that defense coordinator. Um, but, with that being said, so, I was almost coaching and playing at the same time, but before that, you know, had some great, great defensive line coaches that, you know, I learned from and used a lot of their stuff that they taught me on my guys and you know, I'm keeping it. That's awesome. That's good to hear. Um, and I never really realized that that line position like that would be so interesting. Just, I didn't realize the dynamic would be any different than, um, you know, some of the other leagues and things like that. But I, I guess I've never really heard from a lot of people who actually uh, have experience and have played in that. So that's that's pretty interesting. I want to say, um, no, Bobby wasn't arena for. He played in the CFL for a number of years, though, right? Our defensive Bobby line is coach. Like a I was say he's. I was gonna say he was. Uh, he was big time in that. But um, back to the JUCO side of things. Before I let you go here, I wanted to talk about. Um, you had a ton of guys that went to some big time schools while you were coaching at the JUCO level. I wanted to know, like, obviously you weren't there for too long, so maybe this isn't a great question for you. But just from your experience, like you played there as well, do schools end up creating almost sort of pipelines to like certain schools or conferences that are like constantly re- recruiting those type of guys? Oh yeah, absolutely. So you know, I, I played at Los Angeles Pierce uh, Junior College. And then that was also my first job, my first college job. So, yeah. um, you know, I went out there and I got hired. Um, I, w- I was teaching in Florida and, and coaching high school ball in Florida. And I wanted to get into to college coaching, you know. And yep. it, 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 it's difficult because, you know, I had a family in college coaching. When you're getting started, you don't get paid. Well, I took that job because I was actually able to teach while coaching out there. So did yeah. that and, uh, you know, it was, it was a process because they, when I played, we were really, really good. You know, we had sent out maybe 38 Division One players the last, you know, the two years I was there. And, uh, like, everybody went to Division One. Well, it, it couldn't have been more different when I got hired. You know, I think there was maybe really? 20 guys on the roster in that spring. 
Um, so I signed 65 guys that spring, you know, guys from all over the country. Holy God. scholarship school. No, no meal plans, no dorms. So, um, you know, doing that brought all these guys out there and some really good players. And, uh, you know, we started 19 true freshmen. And junior college is a lot like the Division two level in the aspect of you have grown men out there. It's very unlikely for you to have true freshmen on the field with guys that have been out of high school for four or five years. Totally. Um, so we started 19 true freshmen. Our head coach got fired after the second game of the season. Oh, Defensive man. coordinator gets fired oh. with him. So I go from just being the D-line coach to the defensive coordinator. And, um, you know, we won six games and we're game away from the, from the, the playoff bowl game, uh, whatever it was there. And, uh, you know, so we did that and we had some really, really good players there. We had the number one tight end in the country, Travis Spoons, who's at Texas Tech, Blaze oh, Aldridge, who's a uh, and linebacker. He kind of plays all over the place, but he's um, he led Division One in CFL this year at right. Yeah, actually, there you go. Man. Yeah, so you know, so we had a, we had a lot of really really good players. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a couple guys here at Davenport now who were with me out there. There you and, go. Um, so got a couple of those guys, and then I left there just because it was very unstable at the time as far as the head coach getting fired, and um, you know, then the interim head coach was probably not going to get rehired, which he ended up not getting rehired. Yeah. But then I, I left and took a job at Ellsworth, which was a new staff. Yeah. Didn't know any of those guys there. But really, really liked the head coach, really believed in what he had to say. Um, so, go out there and, and tons of Division One guys. I ended up coaching the number one defense back in the country. Um, yeah, I thought I read Minnesota. that. That's nuts. I remember reading yeah, that. I yeah. just like, that's just a, that's such an right, awesome I'm, opportunity. He was, he was number two. Yeah, number two defense back in the country. Hey, um, but still yeah, great. Blew off. He was a, you know what? You know, it's funny. He was, I want to say he was committed to Northern Michigan out of high school. No and way. He, uh, he actually came to us. Man. And, uh, and uh, blew up, blew up at Georgia calling, um, SEC school. Everybody in the country was calling about him. He decided to go to Minnesota. Um, I think it was on that D line, maybe five, six guys went to Division One from that defensive line. So That's crazy. That it was, nice. uh, you know, like you said, I, I wasn't, I wasn't there very long. Yeah, but I had a chance to really work with those guys, develop those guys. Um, those great relationships. Still talk to every single one of those guys. That's great, um, man. That's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that's got to be awesome um, to watch know, those guys at the next oh, level. Oh, yeah, and that was cool about this fall because we weren't playing. I got to watch all those guys. Totally, um, you know, yeah. Time. But, you know, not not to um, get away from your question, going back to that about pipelines and all that stuff, I'm a huge, huge, huge believer in in junior college and, and what it's done for me. Of course, um, as you should you know, be. I got, so, for me, when I was working in junior college, it was really easy for me to recruit because – I really believed what I was telling the kids, you know. Yeah. So to get a kid to come from Florida to California um, without housing, without meal plans, it wasn't difficult for me to sell that because I've been through. Because you believed it, yeah, you it lived it. Out. It stands out, and I really believed it. So, um, so that that was great. But schools, you know, every school in the country is looking for Division One, Division Two, Division Three, and AI are all looking for guys and come in and make an immediate impact the easiest way to do that is through junior college. You know, yeah. now, if you think these junior college guys didn't come in and be finished products, you're completely wrong, and you're, you you know, you're uneducated on that process. Yeah, there's still a lot to go, for guys, sure. Yeah, they, they're just older. They're older, they're bigger, their bodies are different, but they're, 
you know, it's easier to get those guys prepared, you know, to, to play a game versus a high school kid. Uh, yeah, totally um, believe that because they've had those years to develop and really, you know, get their mind and body right. So I think that's an awesome perspective, and I think you, you're totally right in that. Absolutely. So, you know, that that's, that's kind of how that goes. So, but absolutely, schools come in and, you know, every school in the country do it, and then there's some schools who recruit more transfers than others. Like our school gets a lot of transfers because we're a newer program. Completely, yep. we had to get older that can come in and play right now. I got you. Um, I got you. Because it's just it's conference. You know, the conference we're in kind of has to happen. So, mm-hmm. um, obviously, pipelines start to be built, relationships start to be built, and, um, you know, so that's just kind of how that whole thing goes. Yeah, well, that's great to hear, Coach. I know uh, that's all I've got for you um, today. I know you guys have got Gannon this weekend. You're traveling there. And then uh, I believe they're coming to your place. Is it just next weekend or in a couple weeks? Yeah, no, they'll come. I want to say uh, we play them, then we got two scrimmages, and then we play them again. Oh, man, so you guys you guys are going to be busy. Well, best of luck, Coach. I will be, uh, I'll be following along for sure. Absolutely. No, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Um, keep doing what you're doing. I think it's great. Um, you know, and hope to see this whole thing blow up here and, uh, you know, become bigger and bigger. Hey, you and me both. That means the most, Coach. Really appreciate your time. Absolutely. You guys have a good one. All right, you too. I'll see you. (sighs) Drew Brees is done. 20 years. He finally calls it quits. Before I go over his, his little career list here, initial thoughts, reactions, surprise, not surprised? Saw it coming. Saw it coming? Top five QB of all time. Oh, yeah. I would agree. I would agree with that. And what's interesting is actually not even a couple months. No, it was before fall semester. No, no. Yeah, it would have been right before fall semester. We had Zach Line on the podcast mm-hmm. who played fullback for the Saints with Drew for maybe three or four years even. Went to SMU. And, yeah, he did. He did go to SMU. He balled out at SMU. He's a monster. Um, yeah, he was a, even more of a monster in high school, bro. He played against one of my high school rivals, Oxford, yeah. right next to me. Yeah. Um, but even he, I mean – it's on the podcast. Like, he wasn't about to say whether or not, even if he did know, but he really made it believable. Like, he had no idea what Drew was about to do. I don't think anyone did, especially the way that he lost all those last, you know, those games, those in the last couple you know, of years. I think those guys, like, because Drew was still working out, he mm-hmm. was still throwing. I really don't think he had any. So no one had any I don't clue. think he, I think that was, I don't think this is something that he knew he was doing. And not even Drew, you mean? Yeah, I yeah. don't think Drew knew that. I think I, I truly believe that Drew Brees did this for the sake of the Saints. Really? They they needed him to retire to get their cap together. Man. Or they were going to have So to that make came up in the conversation for sure. Cuts. Yeah. Huh. I think so. I, I don't I, think they were like, yeah. Drew, we need you to retire. But I think it that was there's hints. He, yeah. He knew that if he came back, his contract was so large. They was gonna they mess were gonna him have, up. Man, I didn't ever thought about that. But in his career, Drew Brees, the Super Bowl champ, MVP in the Super Bowl, NFL's all-time passing leader, most career completions, second-most passing touchdowns, 13-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro, two-time Offensive Player of the Year, seven-time passing leader, and the most 5,000-yard passing seasons in NFL history. Like, the resume is just out of this world. The only thing you can hold against Drew Brees is one Super Bowl. Yeah. And he should have been in at least two. He got... Exposed mm-hmm. against the Rams. Uh-huh. The pass interference or lack yep. of call. Yeah. So, and and then for that, you go on to the, like the Kyle Rudolph was at the, the push off, right? And something like that. So there were just like back to back to back. And like, how does this guy do it, man? And he's really part of a, for lack of a better term, dying breed of quarterbacks. Just pocket passers. Right. 
And the NFL's the very much getting away from that. Everybody want the kids that can throw it the farthest and run the fastest. Exactly. Just pure talent, like pure athletic talent. Because you've got talent. coaches that can get whatever they want out Patrick of these young Patrick Mahomes, guys. We, he, they were like, we're going to let him sit a year. We're going to teach him everything we need mm-hmm. to teach him. And he come out first starting and just set the league on fire ever since then. Unreal. Everybody's looking for the next Patrick Mahomes. Now he's making half a billion dollars. Half a billion. That's crazy. That is absolutely no, but that's exactly what it is. It's very interesting that the game's trending in that exact direction. But Breeze announced his retirement on the 15th anniversary, like I hinted at in the intro here, of signing with the Saints back in 2006. And it was a video of his four kids giving the announcement. Um, they said, you know, like, Dad's retiring mm-hmm. so he can spend more time with us. It was, like, mm-hmm. pretty cute. He wasn't even in the actual video. I don't know. I thought he'd, like, like turn I said, the, I don't think Drew. I thought he'd turn the camera around and be like, you know, at least put his face in there for a minute or something, but. I don't think this is something that Drew like. I think this was like something he came up with probably the last yeah week or so. I don't last think last week. I I, I would say like a month or like a couple I weeks at least. I don't know. Really? I, like I say, Drew just posted a workout video like two weeks ago. He did. He was throwing and stuff. So yeah. I think this is. I think he really had to sit down and just have a, like a good. And I don't know if the heart. Saints really could have. Could you think they could have won a Super Bowl with him? Could they or would they? That's the question. I don't think they would have, considering yeah. their cap situation. Yeah, could like they, they have to let yeah. go of Janoris Jenkins? But would they, yeah, exactly. They have to. They have to let Trey Hendrickson walk. I don't think they had. I don't think because the would cap be goes down. To. That's why this week's been so crazy. The cap goes down by like what twelve million dollars somewhere yeah. on those lines. I don't think they would have been able to. Yeah, to put keep, a team around to stay in him. contention. They have to cut Emmanuel Sanders. I don't think. Yeah, Saints might. Ooh, they might so, miss the playoffs. Future of the Saints. That would be nuts. That'd be absolutely unreal. But the future of the Saints right now is very interesting, especially at the quarterback position, right? Yes. The biggest deal is that of Taysom Hill, who just reached a four-year, $140 million contract extension with the Saints. The Saints, excuse me. But, like we were saying, the idea that Taysom Hill is going to see all that money is a foolish one. That's not going to happen. All four years of this deal are voidable and... This helps actually the Saints free up seven point five million against the cap, which is down, like I said, almost twelve million. But, but in the event that Taysom Hill balls, balls out, out, then they could have they so this is a great play by them because either way you look like very smart. Because mm-hmm. if he stinks and if he's not the franchise quarterback that uh Sean Payton believes that he is, mm-hmm. okay, cut the rest of cut the tail end of his deal, get yeah. him out of town. We got Jameis sitting on the bench. But if because Peyton has always endorsed him as like he could be a great franchise he loves quarterback, Taysom he Hill. absolutely loves him. He did so much to keep him around with the he was on a franchise tag, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, and you know, if he if that, if that pans out and they pay the man, they're gonna look like geniuses because mm-hmm. nobody else would have given Taysom Hill a shot, especially yeah. in this quarterback market. I don't think he would have gotten a shot. Taysom Hill bought out a little bit when Drew Brees got hurt. Yeah, he didn't ball out, but he kept the Saints say, afloat. He kept, yeah. Okay, I was, I would, I would agree with that. I wouldn't he say he balled afloat. out because yeah, he, he wouldn't put the yeah. team on his back or anything. But, but he kept him afloat. He, he was, kept it moving. Taysom Hill wasn't going to lose them any games. No, I, I was going to say that's a that's a good point because I would say on the same side or the, on the different side, you know what I mean? Like he wasn't about to win him any games, yeah. but he also wasn't about to go out and blow a game for him. So they had such a well constructed roster that they will not have now sure. part of the argument is that yes in that system you could have taken anybody and thrown them in there and they could I mean, anybody referring to any quarterback a professional quarterback mm-hmm. and thrown them in there and had seemed some type of success i think Jameis winston starts really and if Taysom hill starts the season he won't finish it as a starter wow that is bold so we're going to the Jameis winston thing he's not going anywhere he just signed a one-year 12 million dollar quarterback 
or a quarter uh, contract, excuse me. So, you know, he's sticking around. By the way, he's got the weirdest workout videos I've ever seen. Is, what is he doing? In the I have season? no idea. And how much is he paying that trainer? Because he should cut it in half, whatever he's paying. I like. I watch <laughs> it, and it's just like, what are you doing? What are you? But it's You're hard spending, for me to try to yeah to criticize it. a guy because he's a professional and like he led the league in touchdowns and passing yards just what two years two ago? years ago. So it's hard for me to sit here and say like what he's doing is pointless. Yeah, but I but can't look like at it, that man. and be like, oh yeah, he's working on that. Like oh, I he's just, getting better at this. I just know damn well he's paying whoever he's who's training him way too much money to be doing that to him. Man. Because that's a number we've seen from a lot of professional athletes come out lately. You have Russ with his, uh, what does he call him, like Team 10 or Team? Team 3. Team 3, yeah, sorry. Um, but that's all of his people who take care of him. He's got two mm-hmm. chefs. Yeah. All the, like, the therapy and all that. Yeah. And um, then you talk about, like, Guys like Brady. Brady is so you yeah. know, very – I mean, you have to be at that age to compete at the level he's competing at. LeBron, somebody who always comes up. These guys who are later in their career. Um, Jameis, though. Jameis is just, is just an interesting bird with some of that workout stuff he's doing, man. I think Jameis might ball out next year. Yeah. So he I had wanted, a year to I wanted sit to go under back. Sean Payne's yeah. system. I wanted to go back. I remember there was a moment on the sideline where it looked like Drew had come up to Jameis. And said something along the lines of, like, this is your team next year. Do you remember that? Yeah. He said it to Jameis. Not yeah. to Taysom, to Jameis. So he obviously thought, at least if that was actually what he was saying, I don't, I don't think he was mic'd up or anything, and people were just reading his lips. Right? Remember when, when Drew got hurt? The Saint, like, Saints players were upset that they didn't start Jameis and that really? they started Taysom Hill. I did not know that. Yeah. I huh. wouldn't say upset, but they were – it ruffled some feathers. I bet. Because – Taysom Hill is a Sean Payton guy. Sean yeah. Payton is like the only yeah. person endorsing him. And well, I mean, okay, so he's, I'm I'm sure his teammates love him. Yeah, love definitely. playing with him. But, but as a quarterback, yeah, as a quarterback, that's Jameis Winston from. was a uh, he was a number one overall pick. Mm-hmm. Like you say, he threw thirty touchdowns, five thousand yards, and thirty interceptions. The thirty interceptions. Yeah, that was the. But I don't know though. That's. That's Tampa Bay scheme because was, Tom Brady he had a lot of interceptions in the first half of the more season. so than typical for him yeah and that's just because of the system and then actually what you saw in that second half of the season is did they go to the deep ball a little bit more yeah but it was really Bruce Arians and them they changed the system a mm-hmm. little bit to conform better to Tom he sat back and let Tom do a lot and mm-hmm. you could say oh it's easy to just be a coach and sit but like that's a hard thing to do coaches yeah. are prideful guys yes they've especially, been in their way especially Bruce Arians exactly Aarons. a dude who's been around and had success right had great success everywhere and for him to be able to sit back and let this guy kind of do that and conform his his scheme that he's run with for so long that takes a lot of that takes a lot of pride it takes a lot of pride remember it was stories coming out that him and Tom didn't get along and- exactly that was the narrative for so long it was so ridiculous. That was the narrative. And then it was like after, you you know when their season turned around? When's that? When they went in a halftime at that Chiefs game. Yeah. Oh, 100%. They came out and outscored the Chiefs. Yeah. That whole second half. The Chiefs only scored one touchdown. Because, yeah, in that first half, it was uh, Tyreek Hill was just Tyree- running up and down the field. I had to play against Tyreek Hill and um, <laughs> who I had to play against him in fantasy that week. And somebody else. I should have lost. I don't know how. I really? Lose. Yeah. Yeah, because he had a day. Kelsey had an insane day. But I know what you're talking about. Coming on that second half, it was a different team. It was. And they clawed their way back. It didn't feel like it, but they clawed their way back into that game. It Was was it a one-score game at the end when it, it was all said and done? They I won think by they like lost three. 27 to 24, Tampa Bay. 
It and took if, it if took look at Patrick Mahomes score, getting yeah. a, like a crazy third down conversion to ice that game. Really? Yeah. I don't remember the very ending of that. That's interesting. They came all the way back. Man. They stopped playing one high, started playing two high. There you go. Coach Ty, got to hear first. But before we get into the rest of the NFL contracts, we're going to go to our second guest of the day. All right, NFL players putting the pen to the paper this last week has been absolutely insane. Um, I should say also, like, putting the pen to the paper, we're going to talk about a lot of deals that have been made, but the other side of that is a lot of guys have been let go, right? Yes. So you were just talking about the Chiefs right Jamie before Williams. this. Gone. Super Bowl hero. Gone, right? Just like that. It's a businessman. That's Cap like casualty. That is a... That is a life and a job and a career and a family uprooted. And that's like people don't think about that because athletes do get paid an egregious amount of money. Mm-hmm. It's a lot, a lot of money. A but lot come with that. A lot does come with that. You got to relocate, pick up everything you got, and head off somewhere else. Somewhere it's going to sign you for what, a year? Two years? Yeah, you, you don't know. Me? You don't know. So the average NFL career is what, three years? Mm-hmm. I want to say around three years. So, you know, for that short of a period of, of those guys' lives, they're just got to be on their game all the time, or you're just going to be a cap it. And that's what you're going to, that's, that's, it sucks, but that's exactly what it is. But a lot of guys are not cap it. A lot of guys were signing some big deals here as of late. Man. But Tom Brady, not exactly signing a big deal. He was actually saving the Bucks. Yes. With this extension. So he's staying in Tampa through 2022. He said, his post said, like, let's run it back or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Um, and we'll talk about Gronk here in a second, too. But the move saves the Bucks $19 million in cap space this year, which is something that all the teams are taking in, into account. This is, like I said, the preface of all of these deals is the cap space. So mm-hmm. $19 million Tom Brady's saving. Them. I think so. So how do those deals work? Do they, do they, so, make, do they give I know you more guarantee money? The problem right now with a lot of the teams and the contract that they have is that a lot of these contracts are maybe four- or five-year contracts, especially the more expensive ones that mm-hmm. were made, say, in 2016, 2017. So now what they do with a lot of these contracts, at least typically, is they backload a lot of them. So a lot of the money comes in the last maybe two years Mm -hmm. because they think, okay, the salary cap will continue to increase and increase and increase as the revenue grows, as inflation, whatever, revenue of NFL's revenue, they continue, and then COVID hits. So when you get all these backloaded contracts, that's been the huge problem for a lot of these teams. That's what I was reading on. I didn't realize they did that. Mm -hmm. It makes sense from a business perspective because then – it always sounds better to not pay all the money up front, mm-hmm. right? If you can avoid putting it off until later and later and later, it's taking out a little loan or something. Right. So that's the problem I think a lot of these contracts run into. As far as how he worked out that $19 million, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, that's that's crazy. That's what makes, that's what makes me scratch my head Because, you know, I see a lot of um, they make their guaranteed money into a signing bonus. Yes, yeah. So then they pay them all that money up front. So you think now I think the signing bonus that has an interesting dynamic as far as where that fits in the contract as well. I'm not 100% sure of the intricacies of it, but I know that is they do that for a reason. Mm-hmm. Right? Because guaranteed money is I think is a little bit different than like a signing bonus. I obviously. thought the signing bonus was that's what you get as soon as you sign. It, well, yeah. But guaranteed money is a little bit different. Like you're still going to get it. Right. But I don't think it's all at once like that. That's still yeah, going to be guaranteed exactly money. exactly. The guaranteed money is is that's what your base salary is based mm-hmm. off of, the guaranteed mm-hmm. money. Exactly. But I think that they convert all the money, some their guaranteed money, into a signing bonus. So then they pay them all that now 
So they get more money towards the cap for this year. I don't. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's just it, a lot of people smarter than us are working on all these things. It's, it's the reason they're working those jobs. And exactly. And we talked about them using the franchise tag on Godwin last week, right, mm-hmm. to keep him around, and he got a pretty good deal on that. Actually, I think it was like eighteen million or something. The franchise tag is not a. I think that they should eliminate the franchise tag. Really? Yeah. I I don't like how it kind of hold guys back. You know. It does. Like, but I'm a Bears fan. I am glad that we tagged Allen Robinson. Most of the time, most of the time, it like it's bad for guys like that because they want to get out or whatever because that's what it's for. But Chris Godwin actually said he's – I mean, you're coming off a of Super Bowl. How mad right. can you be to be franchise tag? But, like, you could say that pretty easily. Because guys just want that long-term security. security. They want job security. That's what everybody wants, man. That's what Allen Robinson – I don't even think Allen Robinson really want to leave. He just want that long-term deal that he fully yeah, you earned. can't blame him, man. And then you just keep tagging him one one year deals, one year's deal, one year deal. He already tore his ACL, say so he get hurt again. He'll never get the money that yeah. he deserves. I totally agree. And the Bucks have been playing this so smart. I mean, we were talking about last year when they were putting all these weapons together and all these pieces together. Like, yeah, like on paper, it sounds so obvious. Like, yeah, we want all these best guys at each position. Right. That that doesn't happen for a reason. Because that's so difficult to negotiate with all of these top talent guys who deserve money. They all deserve money. That's not the question. It's who's going to sacrifice money. And so for them to be able to go out and just right now, they lock up Levante David for two more years after finalizing extension. Then they go out and they make some more moves. Shaq Barrett, four-year, $72 million deal, 36 of that guaranteed. They get Gronk on a one-year deal worth $10 million. So he's coming back with Brady. And we saw him, like, he was, you know, he had spurts last year. Like, he was really good. For like short periods of time, and he would kind of go quiet for a little bit, but like he's still contributing. His, OJ Howard will make it so much easier for him. You think Remember, so? Remember, he tore his ACL last year. That's very true. I o- forgot about that. OJ Howard was a monster. He was. He's a beast. So when he come back, I think he'll make it a lot easier. Because I don't think Gronk will ever become that number one target he used to be. Not again. Yeah, no, not again. I and agree. I think that's where the struggles came because now you got your best safety guarding Gronk. Can't keep putting Tyron Matthew on Gronkowski. Now you yeah. gotta start putting other guys on Gronk, letting Gronk become a a second fiddle in your priorities almost. And I think that's where he'll, I think he'll have a better season than he had this year just because really? OJ Howard's back. I still cannot believe how impressive it is for him to leave professional football and then just come back. He said he was just refueled, like re, you know, re-energized, ready to go, doing WWE and stuff. Yeah, and just, just comes having back. fun. Two touchdowns just in the Super Bowl. Fun. Just yeah. That he was the game monster. that he just showed out, dude. And I think his impact on the run game is a little bit overshadowed. I think he does a great job in line blocking and stuff like that. So Definitely. his technique there is obviously – and he's a physical specimen. He was made in a lab somewhere, so it's not really uh, a shocker there. Now, they do still have to worry about some big-time names. Uh, in Dimakong Sue on the D-line, yeah. what his contract is going to be, whether or not he stays is going to be a, a I talking think they point. Let him walk. I think so, too. Because of the rest of their defense that they really brought back. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong, he was a big part of their defense. Mm-hmm. But was he that important is the question. I don't know. Um, Leonard Fournette. How I about think they playoff, might let Leonard Fournette walk Playoff too. Lenny. Playoff Lenny made playoff a push. Playoff Lenny was different. But to... during the year, it was not. It was Rojo. It was Man. Rojo through almost throughout the whole year. Ronald Jones. Um, is it Ronald Jones the third? Yeah. I believe, yeah. So he... He was their bell cow, right? Like, he was the dude for the majority of the season. Then, like, playoff Lenny kind of came out of his cage there and had a few games, and he was Man. running hard. Man. I don't – He did. I saw, I saw Leonard Fournette though. got interest in the Seahawks. Really? If I'm Leonard Fournette, I'm not going – if I'm not playing at Tampa Bay, 
I'm playing in Kansas City. Really? If, if you plan for a ring, you know what I'm saying? Where else? Yeah, that's it's, true. Where else are you going to go to compete? That's true. To be honest. Well, you're not going to Green Bay because Aaron Jones just got a four-year, $48 million deal, so they don't exactly need him. that's crazy because they don't tag him. I'm like, man, are they really going to let him walk? Yeah. Do they really got faith in AJ Dillon like that? And he wanted to stay there. That was the that was mm-hmm. the um, the big thing. Is he that wanted to be there? If he didn't, he'd be gone. Yeah, a hundred percent. But he obviously wants to be there. And AJ Dillon, dude, that is a man. Boston College, right? Yeah. And he is just an absolute tank. And he got some good. He got some good reps as yeah. uh, as that season kind of Jones was out. out. And that's a guy too that when Aaron Jones comes in and he's like. He's that good three, four down back. He can mm-hmm. do just about everything, right? He can come out of the backfield. He can run it. He can do everything. Yeah. But when you get in the third and the fourth quarter and you want to bring in a bruiser because that other team is just worn down or starting to get worn down. A bruiser who runs a 4-4. Four, four. Exactly. I guarantee you there's not a single guy on that field that wants to be anywhere in the vicinity or area code of A.J. Dillon. He is. Because if they say that, they're lying. Nobody Ooh. wants to tackle that in the fourth quarter of a game. you got to be on something. I don't want to tackle him in the first quarter, <laughs> the eighth quarter. <laughs> oh, dude. But watching him play is awesome because, like you said, he's that big and he moves that well. It should not be allowed. It at should not all. be allowed at all. But that's going to be a really interesting dynamic. Now, Aaron Jones, um, $13 million signing bonus. So, there's your signing bonus we're talking about. That's going to keep him in Green Bay to potentially make another Super Bowl run, pretty much ride out the rest of Aaron Rodgers in his time in Green Bay, at least I would assume, four years, yeah. right? That, that's probably going to be it. Um, and the Packers, I would say they're going to be back in the NFC Championship, just considering if they make the right choices with this year's draft as far as the defensive side of the ball goes, you're repping the Packers shirt today. What's with that? It's just a nice shirt to go under my, uh, <laughs> under my practice jersey. Nice little green shirt. Uh, I'm going to cross out the, the Packers. Logo. I really do think if they make the right moves in this year's draft and don't go with Jordan Love on us again, and this is coming from a Lions fan, I just I think they definitely have a chance to run it back and, and have a chance to get back in the NFC Championship. I'm not going to say they're going to the Super against Bowl. against Brady. Yeah. I got the Rams. Yeah? I think Matt Stafford. He's taking them to the next level. And they were already almost there, too. They were already, so that's scary. I think Matt Stafford takes them there. So how about no, that? Watch out for Arizona, too. I was going to say, how about that entire conference? Or uh, that division, division, sorry. Division. That division is insane. Because it sounds like, at least, that Russ is going to be staying in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Right? Even though he gave a list of teams that he basically would rather play for. So that locker room dynamic is going to be a little bit interesting with him. I am upset that he's Carroll. not coming to Chicago. Right? You were waiting for that. You see uh, Big Cat's tweets about that? It's hilarious. He said, he said, Adam Schefter, he said, do the, do the Russ to Bears tweet. Please. <laughs> and then you got the Andy Dalton tweet. <laughs> He's trying to be a backup. Oh, it's hilarious. It's now we're so getting funny, Deshaun dude. Watson. That's it? Yeah, Deshaun's coming to show. So we got the Seahawks. We got the Rams, who are obviously now, I would, I would assume that they're the favorite, right, out of that division right now. Out of now. division? Because they, they beat Seattle in the playoffs. So. I would say so. Then you the got LA. the 49ers who are returning so much from Everybody. last year. Everybody was injured. I didn't realize until I really went through and took a look at their roster mm-hmm. and their depth chart, there were so many guys out last year for a variety of circumstances. So they're going to be back and, you know, are they going to be the same team we saw in that Super Bowl? No, but they're going to be That's going to be a, con- a competitive team. And then you go down to Arizona. Oh, my god! I think gosh. Kyler takes an even bigger leap. He needs to because he was good. He was not the quarterback we were expecting, right? Yeah. The the electric playmaker type 
Kyler Murray that we were expecting, who could make plays all over the place. I thought that Hale Murray, that game, I thought that was going to propel them into a bunch of success, yeah, ride that momentum just, out, and they fizzled out. They really did. And after that. the signing of J.J. Watt actually increased their odds, um, at least the Vegas odds of them winning the division by like 500 or something insane. Which is just for a, like for a defensive Chandler end. Chandler Jones and there J.J. You go. Watt. On either side of the ball. The two. Buda Baker and Isaiah Simmons right? in the back end. Right. And they get some corners. I want to say Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt, those are the two highest sack leaders since they entered the league. That's the best defensive end duo and pass rushing duo in the league. Yeah, I would probably agree with that, honestly. Because that's, I mean, as far as like the history goes. Now, they're both getting up there. I mean, J.J. Watt's had a history of, of injuries and things, but he negotiated that deal pretty well. And I would assume he does a lot of that negotiating himself because he's been around, he's seen a lot. And he was enjoying free agency, man. I know we didn't get to talk about it too much, but he was like, he was almost pulling the Tom Brady esque. Like he was really was having fun with it, yeah. as he should. He never got to, he never got to experience that. I know. So I was glad that he uh, he did that. Now, let's talk about the Patriots a little bit. The Patriots have made a ton of moves. Cam Newton talks about that. He's coming back to Bill Belichick and the Patriots on a one year deal worth up to fourteen million dollars with incentives. And I don't know if you saw this, but whose name signed off? On the contract as a representative of the Patriots franchise. I mean, you can read it on my little laptop, but Matt Patricia, dude. Matt Patricia, the old head coach of the Lions. This is supposedly, I saw it reported from a couple different sources that he was the one that signed off as a representative of the Patriots on Cam's newest deal. So you go to Detroit, what do you do? You just come crawling back to New England, let Big Bill take you back in. Yeah, he's back on the staff. You right? know that? I just I, I didn't know that. So I yeah, I just, he back on the staff. So he wasn't like listed anywhere, right? Not defensive coordinator. No. So what the what I the think thought he's just an is now. what the thought is is that Nick Casario was the director of player personnel over there. Mm-hmm. He's now the GM of the Texans. Yeah. And so it, what it sounds like is that Patricia may be filling that role mm. for Casario. I just, that's a low. That's just like a. After he what he did it, though. in Detroit, I it, would though. not touch Matt Patricia, Matt exactly. Patricia with a ten foot pole. After dude, after what he did in the Super Bowl, twenty eight to three, you you were riding high after that, and then they just go to. I don't know, man. I really don't know. So that'll be interesting to see if we get any type of uh, announcement, I guess, regarding any of that. Um, but the Patriots. Let's talk about some of the other big moves they made. Um, besides securing their quarterback, they signed the two best tight ends on the market, right? Johnu Smith from the Titans, four yeah. years, 50 mil. Hunter Henry from the Chargers, 37 and a half mil over three years. Those are guys that are going to be there. Those are guys going to make an impact. That's Immediate run impacts. game. That's pass game. That's everything. That's targets. That's destroying coverages and taking eyes off of other people, taking eyes off a of cam. I mean, unreal. And then talk about the defensive end. We were talking about it. Matthew Judon from the Ravens, Grand Valley State, D2 guy. He gets paid handsomely. 40-year, $56 million, 32 of that guaranteed. Wow. That's Set crazy. for life. He is. Oh, 100%. Now, he's he's got to be, what, year nine maybe? No, he's not yeah. that old. Is he actually? Yeah. He's got to be close, yeah. I think he's like 28 now. Is he? So, no, not year nine. No, no, he wouldn't be that old. I think he's like 28, 29 now. Is he? So, maybe yeah. like six or seven? Maybe. Okay. Because he has been around for a little bit, I know that he's mm-hmm. getting he's getting on the back end of uh, his career there. Um, 
what are the other notable ones? We talked about Andy Dalton a little bit there, his little contract that he got. But Ryan Fitzpatrick to the Washington Washington football football team. team. One-year deal is worth $10 million and definitely makes uh, Washington an actual contender for the NFC East with a lot of that uh, (laughs) front seven coming back on the defensive side of the ball because really in my eyes – you know, Washington was the favorite, but then you have mm-hmm. Dak coming back. You're like, okay, the Cowboys really should come out of that division. or that, mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, so, um, but dude, with that defense, I wouldn't have been mad to see Matt Stafford go there. You know what I mean? To see him play with that defense like that. I know. That would have been pretty interesting. I mean, totally not mad with the Rams I situation. feel like wherever Matt Stafford went, they were going to be a contender. Yeah, and the Rams is probably the best situation for that out of yeah, the options that uh, that they had for that. Um, but that Washington front seven, dude, absolutely unreal. That defensive line, defensive line unit there, dude. It's like first rounder after first it rounder is. after the D first line rounder. is all, dude. And people forget how good uh, Montez Sweat is. People, I think people kind of forgot, like wrote him off a little bit. Man, unreal. And then they got Terry McLaurin. Mm-hmm. Steven Sims is an underrated receiver. Yes. To me. Yeah. Antonio Gibson, Pro Bowler this year. Market. Gibson was a stud. Gibson was great for them. A converted wide receiver to running back. Yeah. You do not see that often. And you got a backup quarterback that can come in and sling it whenever you need it in Heineke, dude. A little Heineke, man. I think he signed a, it was like a three-year, eight eight mil or something like that, somewhere on those lines. I think it was like two years. Two years? Eight, mil, okay. eight or nine million. Yeah, it was just over eight million. So, yeah. good for him, man. Come in and ball out for a game. Play had him a little, Had him a little QB competition. Yeah? You think so? I mean, hey, they're going to be competing for the job and Fitzmagic is, you know, probably going to win that one, but we'll see. College football-wise, our only piece of uh, college football news, at least for this week, nothing too crazy. Got some uh, some more FCS uh, contests going on, and then uh, NAIA football is starting to kick up, so I'll we'll have to get some more NAIA guests on. I love hearing about that. Um, but college football is changing, potentially, I will say potentially changing the way college football does overtime and stopping fake injuries. So the proposed rule from the NCAA Football Rules Committee on Friday of last week recommends that instead of starting another drive on the opponent's 25-yard line in the third overtime, the two teams would have alternating two-point conversion attempts to decide the game. So the first two overtimes would remain the same, right, Mm -hmm. unaltered. But after you entered that third overtime, it was going to be back and forth two-point conversions. I love it. Because you yeah. get to see, not only does that shorten the amount of plays in the game, which is the general idea of this, is to cut down the number of plays in overtime in regard to you know player safety and just to finish the games quicker. Those games are so draining for everybody involved. Um, but you get to see the creativity yeah. of the offense. I think it's that might be the most there. exciting part of it. It is very hard to score. Once you get inside the five, it's it's only so much you can do. Yeah. You don't have the whole field to work with. You don't, mm-hmm. especially route concepts and things. Yep. You don't have this, you know, top bottom. Like you can't really work defenders to get in a different window. It's yep. like you just gotta. A lot of times, just gut up. And I, I hope. I don't think we'll see a lot of that, especially at the college level. I feel like people get really creative and get a little ballsy with get it. Get too pretty sometimes. Sometimes they do. Sometimes though, it just turns out absolutely nice. Yeah, it, it is it really nice. Do. So it definitely does. I'm interested to see what that is. Um, and I was telling you the game that they actually cited, the committee that cited, they cited was the LSU versus Texas A&M game in 2018 that went into seven overtimes. That was the game that uh, we were saying, Coach O, he gets dumped with the Gatorade. They thought the game was over. They go review it. The Texas A&M quarterback's knee was down. They get another play. They kicked a field goal, I believe, and then forced the next overtime, and it just kept going and going and going. They just Coach kept o, throwing it up to 13. Coach O was just, just sitting there, just 
getting probably freezing with the all the Gatorade soaking wet <laughs> with a loss, and then he lost in like seven overtimes. The amount of plays that is for players, and really what that boils down to is the amount of opportunities for injury. They have right? to run at least a hundred plays each. You think so? I'm gonna look it up. They That's had, a great question. They, I actually want to know. They had to. But that is the the main emphasis for these rules is that you just don't want guys to be out there longer than necessary. Like the game is draining enough for these guys. They're going to be physically exhausted after these games. And for them to go into seven overtimes, that is just not even borderline. It's just absolutely excessive and unnecessary. So I totally understand where they're coming from. Now these changes, this and the injury one we'll talk about in a second, these changes still do have to be approved by the NCAA Playing Rules Oversight Panel. I've never heard of it, but... That's what it is, which is scheduled to meet actually on April 22nd, so in just over a month, to discuss uh, not only this rule but the fake injury rule. Do you have any luck in uh, in finding that? It's kind of hard. I, I don't bet. Think yeah. Really keep a downs played. <laughs> well, it would probably just be like a time. 31 first downs for LSU, 33. Oh. So there had to have been at least yeah. plays. You take that by three. Yeah. That's man. That is wild, dude. That's it's got to be pretty close. Um, the other thing I did want to talk about was the uh, the injury side of things, mm-hmm. right? The stopping of the fake injuries. So it sounds like the basic premise of this is to allow the opposing coach a chance to review an injury if they believe that the player was just doing it to stop the clock, ruin the other team's momentum, whatever the case may be. We've seen all of those situations play out in other games in years prior. Um, the injuries will still stop the clock. They're going to treat all of them like actual injuries, even if there is suspected like faking or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and the players will be removed from the field before the game continues. But this would just allow the teams to make sure that people aren't doing this purposefully and, uh, you know, kind of taking that element out of the game. Now, your take on this was interesting, right? You said that injuries just shouldn't stop the clock. Just get the guy off and keep playing. Yeah, I don't. I feel like, you know what I'm saying, somebody get hurt, you stop the clock, obviously, to yeah, let yeah. them get off the field. But I feel like rough blow that whistle, start the clock again because it's a free timeout, essentially. Yeah, hundred percent. You can't really, and my, that's this rule is very necessary. Yeah, I I totally believe yeah. that. I feel the like they need very it necessary. definitely. But like you're saying, it's a free timeout. You don't have no more timeouts left. That's going to be super I'll difficult to actually enforce. Yeah, because how can you how can you tell somebody that they're not yeah. actually hurt? No, you're not hurt. Get get up, get out of here. Come on, you're not hurt. It's like it's crazy. That's it. Or now you got guys selling a fake injury to the extreme. Now now they walk into the tent, sit in the tent yeah. for half a quarter and come back out. That's true. Because like. You know, you as a coach, you could pin it like, "Oh, do you really want to win? Like, go sit down. Like, yeah, yeah. Show me you really want to win. Like, sit out, take a fake injury, whatever. Like, you're not gonna do that for the team. Oh, you know you. Like I say, somebody get hurt, fake injury, real injury, minimum five players. You got to sit out. Yeah, that would be. I would love that. I think that'd be really interesting. Um, Now, I think from their perspective that even the idea of this rule potentially making it in, or when it does actually get approved, even the idea of that, I wonder what the punishment will be. Because I think their idea is that the punishment will actually just deter teams from doing that altogether. I think it would probably get on sports my conduct. Yeah, at bare minimum, mm-hmm. right? So that's 15 yards at a time in the game where 15 yards is probably huge. Critical. That could determine field goal range, whatever it is at that time of the game. Because um, when you're trying to stop the clock, obviously somebody's driving and somebody does not want them to be driving. So right. a 15-yard play is huge. So I think that will be almost enough of a, of a deterrent to really stop teams from taking advantage of that. But... Um, the fact that they're even considering all this 
Maybe it's because I got a lot of time to just sit around and think about I'm all this saying, stuff. You know what I mean? Nothing else to do. So let's go back. To, you know what? Let's go back to the rule book. Like we already did that three times. Now let's do it just one more time. Make sure we got nothing crazy going on. Let's get, get our stuff right. Yeah, I think it's good. Yeah, I, I agree. Think it's good. I agree. Because you see uh, it too much. Big yeah. games and a guy. D lineman just fall down. That's to do it. The D lineman. From a selfish perspective, from a fan's perspective, it sucks to watch. Yeah. The game stops. Like, like oh. everybody's ready to go. Everybody's excited. Got the blood flowing. Yeah, selfishly. And now you just fall out. Selfishly, like, I just want to watch the game come to an end, man. Like, that would be great. Just like, whatever, however way it ends in dramatic fashion, just let it play out. Oh, yeah, man. So they're working on it. I think that's a lot of games, too. Like, baseball has gone through that to make their game a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, baseball is hard to watch. Baseball, for me, I like. I really I can't, can't watch just, baseball. I can't be sitting on, unless I'm about to take a nap. I can sit down and watch a little baseball, but like, dude, and I don't, I don't nap, so that's that's saying something. But like, if I go to like if I go to Comerica Park for the mm-hmm. Tigers play, um, like that's that's fun. Like I'll go watch, right. I'll go watch baseball if I'm there. Like that's yeah. a, that's just the atmosphere. That's like just a a rite of passage almost for, sure. for a lot of people. Like just like going to watch the baseball game. Watching um, on TV, I can't do it. No, I can't do that shit. I can't either. do it. I can't do it. <laughs> it is impossible. Uh, that's all we've got though. Unless you got anything else, Ty. Shout out Jimmy Martin. Shout out Jimmy Martin. We can, we can get Jimmy on here next week. Should we have the three of us on? Yeah. I think he'd enjoy that. Let's do it. Definitely um, get Jimmy. So come back next week for that great conversation. But remember to check us out on Twitter at D1 underscore rejects and on Instagram at Division One Rejects. New episodes every Wednesday. And uh, we'll have some more great guests on for you next week. Appreciate all of you. Have a great weekend.